0: I learned early on that instead of trading time for money, I wanted to instead uh, buy assets that produce money. Um, so that's the you know kind of the big switch. Most people they trade their time for dollars.
1: This is Better Wealth with Caleb Williams. Justin Donald, welcome to The Better Wealth Show.
0: Caleb, I'm so excited to be here. This has been a long time coming. We've been talking about this for a while and just lining up schedules. It's taken some time, but I'm so thrilled to be able to hang with you.
1: You you know, when the Entrepreneur Magazine calls you the new Warren Buffett and you're a best-selling author and now you're like on every podcast that I'm scrolling. It's like I scroll and I'm just randomly on shows. and I'm like, oh, I know this guy. I know this guy. Congrats on the incredible message. We got connected a couple months ago and we talked and it was funny because we talked. I've never should have done that meeting. I was like late for the airport. I almost missed a flight because of you. All right. Remember that. And I remember thinking I'm like, OK, number one, it was crazy. I was like at my kitchen table and I just remember how present you were, how life giving you were, how knowledgeable you were and abundant you were. And I was like, my goodness, like there's something there. And I bought your Audible book and I'm on the plane and I'm listening to it. And by all means, I'm going to plug your stuff. If you get the Lifestyle Investor, which all my listeners should get, get the audio book. It's like a bonus because after every chapter, you're getting interviewed and you're talking about the meat of why you wrote what you wrote. And dude, when I was listening to it, I ended up buying the book and I'm like, this is incredible. This message needs to get heard And I thought you did such an incredible job taking some scary topics and simplifying it. And what I love is the frame of the metric that you look at success is this idea of lifestyle. And so with that, man, you open up your book by saying, and I love the quote, you said, money is only a tool. It will take you wherever you wish, but it will not replace you as a driver. And that was an Ayn Rand quote, which I'm a big fan of. For all my listeners that don't know your story, I would love them to get a little bit of context. And then I'm hoping to dive into your work and talking about some of your 10 commandments of lifestyle investing.
0: Sure. Well, I'm excited. Thank you for the kind words. And You know, I've just had so much fun getting to know you, and it's been a pleasure, you know, even just introducing you around in my network because I think people need to learn more about you and your process and the things that you're doing to impact the world. So, yeah, thank you for sharing and for having me on your show today. So, my story is probably similar to a lot of people's story in the fact that. I really grew up very working class, middle class, probably a little bit below middle class. And I just saw the way that my parents worked hard and would really grind to be able to provide the lifestyle that they wanted for us and to give us a better life than they each had. And they did a fantastic job of that. I'm very grateful to my family for the sacrifices that they made. And I just remember thinking that, there's got to be a better way and i didn't know what it was at that time i just knew that i knew how to work hard and i was willing to work hard but i just didn't want to do that forever or for the majority of my life and so i feel blessed to have crossed paths with some authors that really impacted me and impacted my thinking entrepreneurs and investors and people that just saw the world from a different view. And I was able to take that in at a young impressionable age and, you know, continue to read, you know, one of the things that I feel like I've been blessed with is this desire to learn. I don't ever feel like I know everything. I just, I feel like there's so much to learn. And I'm just always this student. I'm an eternal student that wants to learn the next thing and hang out with the person that has this hack figured out or has, you know expertise in this area that I don't, and so I just made kind of a career of that—a career of networking with people playing the game of life at a at a high level and playing the game of business and investing and finance at a level that was much greater than my own. Uh, yeah, I didn't have the acumen for it early on, and I just made a commitment to spending time with those people and educating myself, and I learned early on that instead of trading time for money, I wanted to instead uh, buy assets that produce money. Um, so that's the you know kind of the big switch. Most people, they trade their time for dollars. And I just learned that if you can buy assets that produce income and you can buy enough assets or enough cash flow to cover what it costs you to live your life, and you can live a great life that way, you then have your time back, your number one most precious resource to spend it with the people that you value most, to invest it into your own personal health for longevity and for being strong and present with those that matter and to really apply your unique skills and your, I guess, many talents in a way that benefits and blesses others and that you can live a purposeful life that is inspiring and that you are excited to share with other people.
1: You know, Justin, I really admire the clarity that you have and even the idea of lifestyle. Some people are looking at their lifestyle and saying, I don't necessarily know what that even means. And, you know, I always go back to the story of like Alice in Wonderland, where she doesn't know where she wants to go. And and the cat says something really profound. He says, if you don't know where you want to go, any road will get you there. I feel like a lot of people don't even know where they want to go in life. What was the epiphany that you had? What was the catalyst that you had? And, and I'm, I can hear Robert Kiyosaki's book, by the way, just in oh, yeah. probably one of the first books that you've read. What was that shift that you had to make? I know like assets producing cash flow, but you have clarity on what your life should look like when someone's sitting across the table from you and saying, yes, I get the tactics. Yes, I get it. But they don't really get it. What's the shift that they need to make or what's the question that they need to ask themselves to really get it?
0: Well, it's a mindset shift because generally people's behaviors are going to match their mindset. There's going to be action that's taken based on the view of the world that people have. And, you know, I have the luxury of having coached many entrepreneurs over the years and many investors. And one of the things that to your point is that when I ask people, what is it that you want out of life or what's the ideal life? 90% of them say, well, I can tell you what I don't want. I don't want this, and this drives me crazy, and I don't want to do this anymore. And so people have clarity on all this stuff that they don't want and that they don't like. But if they're focused on those things, they're going to retain those things. And very rarely do I find someone that actually has clarity on what they do want. And so that's why the first commandment in the book uh, is about lifestyle first, but I incorporate your freedom vision, like what does life on your terms look like? What does a life with uh, where, where you have this compelling vision of the future look like? I've got a bunch of cues to coach people as to what they can pick from a time standpoint, a relationship standpoint, a material uh, standpoint, an impact standpoint, And the goal is to just give people clarity because that clarity is power. When people have a view of what they want, they can start kind of moving in the direction and taking a few steps forward. I say this on my podcast all the time that uh, my challenge is every day for our, our audience to take one step, some form of action, towards financial freedom and the life that they desire on their terms by their design. And I just really think that when people have that clarity, the mindset shifts instead of I live this life based on the income that I make. When you shift that around and say, actually, this is the life that I want. How do I get there? Well, then you start asking yourself better quality questions You have better quality answers because your brain's like the supercomputer and you just get answers that when you ask yourself these questions subconsciously, you get answers. And so it's just good results that come from that better mindset. And you can start building your income around the things that you want.
1: I absolutely love it. It's a lot of times you got to figure out your metric. And a lot of people, as Stephen Covey would say, is like, you're, you're doing all this work. You're working extremely hard. You're reading the books. You're investing your money. Congrats. You're going up the wrong tree and you find yourself in the wrong forest. One of the key things that we try to do is lean people into the metric. What is your metric? What is that thing going to be? And this is not perfect, but you know how Wall Street says, rate of return. Like, that's the thing that should matter, which, by the way, is not anything to do with cash flow, which we can talk about in a second. That's right. But at, what we try to challenge people is what if ROR stood for return on result? What result do you want? And then back up your time and money with that. Because at the end of the day, last I checked, you should live, you have one life and you should design your time and money and resources to back that up. And like, when you wrote this, I was like, Justin, after someone reads Robert Kiyosaki, cause I think Robert Kiyosaki does a phenomenal job getting you to change your framework. This is a must read. And I sincerely mean that because at the end of the day, Robert Kiyosaki's in kind of like the philosophy world and you give people the actual commandments, the actual steps on how to not just figure out what you want but how to actually start doing this. And that's why I'm such a big fan of what you teach. And I'm so grateful that you would be willing to put this out. I know that you wrote this for your daughter. Can you unpack that a little bit? Because I think it talks to the character that you have and the integrity that you've written this with.
0: Sure. Yeah. Thanks for asking that. You know, th- this book is a very personal story. And, and you know, it's, it's very near and dear to my heart because for the longest time, I didn't write a book. I've had friends for years that have asked me to write a book that have asked me to put together a course and content and a mastermind or whatever it is, like teach what you're doing. We want to know. And I've really pushed back on that for quite some time. And the reality is that it just seemed like it was this big audacious goal to write a book. Like it's It's just hard to even start. And I don't look at myself as an author. So I didn't feel like I could just sit down and write a book. And I had some friends give me some really good counsel. One of my dear friends, one of the things he said to me, he goes, well, if you're not going to write this book, I just have a question for you. And that question is, what if you die and your daughter never learns all that, you know, all these things that you could pass down to her? You know, what happens and how does that make you feel? And it was a true punch to the gut. And so I began writing my book two days later, and it was a very emotional start. And I actually got some good, other good uh, wisdom from friends that I didn't have to actually write, I could just record myself talking. And that's what I did. That's what I started doing is I would just, you know, have these different memos that I would leave and uh, we would put it together. You know, the book just kept getting bigger and bigger, but it started out more as a a piece of wisdom, advice for my daughter to be able to use when she's of age to be able to use it.
1: You know, it's super interesting. If something does happen to you today, you have hours of content, including a book, and that is a legacy and that's leverage. And I know you talk a little bit about leverage in your book, but I just think it's like so amazing that we live in a time where you can record your thoughts you can make a video of yourself. Like, I don't understand why more people don't do like their obituary. Like, you better believe I'm going to be the main speaker at my funeral kind of deal because there's a captive audience. Like, they'll listen to what you have to say. And it's like, it sounds morbid, but at the end of the day, it's, it is an incredible time that we live in. Justin, I want to talk about the common myths when it comes to investing. We're going to get into the the Ten Commandments and some of them. I know we won't be able to cover all of them on the show, but i want to get into the myths because i think a lot of times people they get stuck on certain things or there's certain things that they have and they're like yeah it's easy for you to write this but like they really don't believe it's possible and so why don't you delve into a couple ones that you see
0: sure i mean goodness sakes there are so many myths there are so many that i wanted to include in this book and at a certain point it just gets too cumbersome you know and you really have to kind of just go with the main ones but you know A lot of people just think that you really can set it and forget it and that you can just put all your money in the stock market and that's a good way to go. And I'm not saying that the stock market is bad, but you lose... Control. You lose utility on those dollars. Uh, generally speaking, most people give it to someone that they have never vetted on what their skill level is, and so I personally believe that a lot of the the financial industry as a whole is very manipulative and it's misaligned. So you have a lot of people. A lot of advisors, and by the way, not all advisors are bad. I've got dear friends that are advisors. I know a lot of people that do great things, but not all advisors are made the same. And a lot of people don't subscribe to what they actually do themselves, you know, or what they coach their clients on. And other people promote just what's the highest commission product that i can put someone in and so there's just so much there to unpack because you know 95 and this is a stat by the way that is measured based on active managers and based on the s p 500 index that 95 percent of financial advisors and and money managers people that actively manage money do not outperform the s p 500 index so if you were to just put your money in an index and let it grow it's the lowest fee Type of way to have exposure to the stock market. And it's a collection of the 500 largest companies. So there is diversification. If you're to do that, 95% of the time, that outperforms 5% where they do outperform. But those same 5% typically don't outperform over the next 10 years, you know, where these are measured. So there's just a lot to look out for. I just think that most people don't have any recognition that they don't make as much as they think that they make that fees are a lot higher than they realize the drag on those fees is massive that the way that the industry is set up is that people make money on your money whether you make money or not and i just think that there needs to be better alignment in the way that people are paid according to the results that they provide
1: that's right cash flow is the key and what's interesting to me is i have nothing against if you want to put your money in an index but i would encourage people to actually read up and like understand the result you're getting because when you start reading up about retirement planning and the four percent rule and you start like understanding that you almost have very little control you're not really having much tax advantages you're not using any type of leverage and then you start doing the math and at the end of the day why do you even invest in the first place is to take those investments or assets my hope is and to convert it to cash flow and, and cash flow is the metric you realize that you potentially are doing the example of like walking from Austin to Colorado instead of taking a plane. You'll get there, I guess, but it might just take you your entire life versus a couple of years. And I'm not even exaggerating. Talk about your definition of financial independence, because I think this is so key. It's what is the metric? And I think we have to measure everything based off of cash flow, because cash flow is the blood flow, of your personal economy
0: for sure. And so the whole idea is if someone is going to eventually retire and have a certain amount of money that they make, I mean, the whole goal of this whole nest egg approach of investing is you build up a large sum of money that hopefully you can live just off the interest of, of that money and never have to dip into the principle. Most people don't actually realize that and they dip into that principle and eventually it gets used up and all their money's gone. But if the goal upon retirement is cash flow, why not start that today? Why not figure out a way today to be able to cover your expenses? So I have kind of three different categories or tiers that I look at this through. So the first one is, what does it cost you to survive? And this is bare minimum. This is not lifestyle this is not vacations this is not fancy dinners this is like peanut butter and jelly ramen noodles how much is your mortgage or rent how much are your utilities we could throw car payments in there you know like food groceries like how much is that bare minimum and then what does that break down to per month and that's your first threshold because when you have an asset or more than one assets uh, more than one asset that will produce Income to cover that you have hit that first stage of survival, and then you've got another level which would be your current lifestyle. What does it cost you to live the exact life you live today? Vacations, eating out, entertainment, all the great stuff that you do in your life. What is that cost, and what is that on a monthly basis? Not an annual basis, just monthly. We're just looking for cash flow here because when you can figure out a way to cover that expense then you truly are free. You're financially free. You can do what you'd like. You've bought your time back. And then the next level would be basically your ideal life. Like what do you want that you don't have? And how much is that going to cost? Most people just say, well, I make X dollars. Therefore, I can only do these things. I think it's better to do it in the reverse order. Say, I actually want to... Live life this way, it would cost me this much.
1: So how do I make that much? So it's abundance versus scarcity. Yeah, and again, you have to you have to clearly define that. Where does inflation factor in? Because hundred thousand dollars today, we'll just say ten thousand dollars a month, so one hundred twenty thousand annually today. Thirty years from now, like, do you factor? Do you encourage people to factor in an inflation adjusted consumption?
0: Well, the answer is yes. But here's where it gets scary, because we're going into the great unknown here. We've been talking for years about how inflation is just two to 3%. I personally believe it's been greater than that for a long time. But that's our dumbed down version that we get from the people that are kind of puppeteering the the financial industry and are kind of pulling the strings. And so let's call it two to 3%. So if it was two to 3%, which probably a lot more, right? But That was before we just printed trillions of dollars upon trillions of dollars. So we now, this last year, have a deficit, just from last year, of trillions of dollars. We have right now $11 trillion in proposals out there for dollars spent this year. In the last year, in the last 12 months, over 50%, technically it's at least 40%, some people say 50%. So let me call it at least 40%, likely 50% of all money in circulation was created last year out of thin air. So there's just no way on earth you can get me to believe that inflation is just 2 to 3%. Inflation is bare minimum 5 to 10%. It's likely greater than that. Yeah. And just think about it. You know, what did it cost you to buy a smoothie you know, 10 years ago? And what does it cost you today? I guarantee it's a greater amount than that 2 to 3% growth. But the big thing that people don't realize is that drag on their money. So if you're sitting in cash, if you're doing this nest egg approach, you've got to be very cognizant of the fact that your dollars are going to be worth way less when you retire. And the best thing you can do is buy assets because as monetary supply expands, so do assets, meaning when more money is pumped into the system, it makes assets worth more money the devaluing of the dollar. Every dollar becomes worth less, but your assets will keep up with the money printing. And if you actually know what you're
1: doing, you can grow them on top of that. That was one of the best definitions slash descriptions of inflation and why assets. And I always say that value creation is the solution to inflation because at the end of the day, you might have more money, but the person that creates the most value will figure out a way to create a magnet. And Another way to look at an asset is an asset provides value and it doesn't necessarily have to provide value on your time. And it's just it's just very, very interesting. So many things. We could highlight every single commandment that you've gone through in this book. You talk about reducing risk. And I think that's really interesting because we, we think about this strategy and we think of it being more risky. I would argue, and I think you probably would agree, that if you know what you're doing, you have way less risk than the the safe stock market that everyone thinks is like always going to go up. So why don't you talk about reducing risk and why is that commandment number 2?
0: Well, I have it right out of the gates. I mean, the first one is lifestyle first because I think it's important to figure out, you know, where you want to go in life. But as far as an actual commandment on, you know, what you're looking to do, I think that there's nothing more important than not losing your money. So if I get a modest return but I don't lose money from now until whenever I retire and hopefully even beyond that, well, I'm going to do much better than most people because if you lose money somewhere, you forever lost the opportunity of what those dollars could earn you in a return. And then it takes you, you know, twice or three times or four times as much energy and effort to re earn those dollars back. You know, people often think that if you have a 50% dip in your portfolio, that when you gain 50% back and you're back to even that your dollars are back to even, but that is one of the biggest fallacies out there. When your money, when you dip down 50% and then you get back to even, you've actually lost money. That is a negative return. It looks like it would be even and you would have all your money back. But if you actually do the math and you just throw out a number like $100,000 and it drops down to 50000 and then it goes back to 100000 take a look at the real math and what happens and what the return is and you will see that you lose money, which is one of my big, I guess, issues with the financial services industry is that I feel like there's a lot of manipulation there. So I'd rather have more control. I can't control the swings in the stock market and you know, what's happening and what good or bad thing happened in the world or what company did well or didn't do well on quarterly earnings. And there's just no control there. So I'm subject to the whims of basically fear. And so I believe in in private investing, you know, in, in private equities, I just have more control. I have more utility on my dollars and I know how to protect it. You know, if in the stock market, if you invest in a stock, it can go to zero. You can lose all your money. If you buy real estate, it's not going to go to zero. There's intrinsic value built into an asset. It's not going to be worth zero dollars. Even if it were and it got destroyed, you'd have insurance to replace it. So, you're not, so worst case scenario, you don't lose all your money. And I think that's important. But I think there are other mechanics that you can use to protect that downside risk where you can collateralize something, meaning you can have other assets that back up the loan or the investment and ideally at a two or three or four times greater value than what the investment amount is. That's real protection. You can do it in a senior secured way or a first lien position where you are first in line should something go bad. You get paid back first. There are other mechanics that you can use called put options. And so often I'll negotiate a put option into my contract, which basically gives me an out. Let's say for any reason, let's say I just don't like the investment anymore or the managers aren't doing what they said that they would do on this investment. I can actually exercise a put option, take all my money back at any given time. And often I negotiate these to have an interest that is paid out for the time frame for which they had my investment dollars.
1: Now, there's a couple of people listening that said, "Justin, you had me," and then you started talking, and I'm like, "Put options and all these things like that's complicated." So, what I what I would like to do is take a step back and and just say if a lot of people are investing with the hope that their money will grow and we're even you even highlighted the the difference between actual rate of return and that average and every time you lose a dollar you don't just lose that dollar but you lose what that dollar could earn you the rest of your life and that's a costly deal especially when we look at opportunity cost and so when you even look at real estate i want to just give this example real estate you're just finding ways that you can make more money there's cash flow you can appreciate that it could could grow in value you're using leverage you can you're not maybe putting all your money at risk, there's special tax advantages. So you're taking an asset, they're both considered assets, but you have one side where you're getting a lot of different ways to win. And it's, the market's a little bit inefficient, meaning like you ha- can get it better deals. And so there's less downside and a lot more upside. If someone came to you and said, okay, Justin, and I know you have a book and I know you have a mastermind, I know you have a lot of things and you had like five minutes with me and you had to give me like the framework, where would you have me begin to learn this stuff and to have a framework of how to think about investing?
0: Well, I think the most important thing, more than anything else, is your financial education, that you're investing in yourself, that you're reading books that teach it, that you're hanging out with people that know it, that are playing the game of life and business at a higher level than you are. I just think that The willingness and the eagerness to learn will probably set you apart more so than anything else. And then besides that, I think you just find someone to model and mirror. I mean, that's what I have made a career of is I have figured out what the best of the best do in their particular expertise and then I just copy them. I just learn their program. I'm not trying to create something from scratch. I'm just doing what someone else has already done for 20 or 30 or 40 years. And I'm doing it, my goal is as well as them. But if I'm, at, if I'm doing it like 70% of them, I think I'm coming out pretty far ahead.
1: Model people that you would be willing to trade places with. And we live in a world where you can listen to the greatest minds for free. It's incredible. And, and it can open so many doors. I would be remiss for not saying this, is I'm reading your book and I almost fell over because you admitted to using whole life insurance. And my audience knows that I'm a big fan and have written a book on the and asset because I think so many people have like downplayed it. There you go. I got your <laughs> um, book right here. So many people have downplayed it. And I'm like, listen, this is not an investment. It's an income amplifier. It's a leverage, it's an asset that you can leverage. It's an and, you don't have to choose anymore. And you articulated it so well. I'm wondering, like, did, did you have a gun to your head when they made you write that? Or like, why did you put that? Because for so many people, they, they want to be as far away from that because it's like, that's not what the typical minds said. So I'm just wondering, like, why you wrote that and how you've used it in your own life.
0: Yeah, so I've been using whole life for about 15 years, maybe 16 years. And I think it's an incredible vehicle. And so there's a few things that kind of surround this. Life insurance in general gets a bad name. Uh, It just has a bad rap. And I get it because most of the products that are off the shelf are probably not great products or not as good of products as what specialists like you can build. And so there's value and power in working with someone that is a true craftsman or craftswoman in this insurance product category. So if you can find someone that can build something based on your particular life and what you particularly earn and what you particularly save and invest, it can just be magical. And so one thing that I've always known is that whatever the masses do, don't want to do i want to run the other way so when i started looking into this and i started running this by a lot of people in my network people thought i was crazy and they're like you don't you're single you don't even have a girlfriend you don't have kids what are you doing and i mean the vast majority of people said this was a horrible investment ironically the minority of people that were very wealthy individuals in my network, and it took me a long time to be able to get people in my network like that, they all used it. And so I was like, okay, well, number one, whatever the majority of people are doing, I'm not doing that. I got to do the opposite. And so that was one indicator. The other one is, hey, these people, I I actually want to model after them, and they're doing it. But the other reason I think that that insurance gets a bad rap in in general is that you have these financial pundits that they tout their methods and the things that they do. But a lot of the people that are sharing like, Oh, I would just buy term and invest the, the difference. A lot of people that are that grain of investor are more on that scarcity mindset. And they specialize in getting out of debt, not creating wealth. And by the way, I think there's a great place for that. Like, I don't want to, you know, chop anyone down that I think is adding value. So like a Dave Ramsey, I think he does incredible work for people. His financial peace university, I think is amazing, but his, you know, if you asked him, he would tell you this, like what he's built is built to get you out of debt. It's not built to create wealth or a legacy of wealth. And so the tools that get you out of debt are not the same tools that help you build wealth.
1: Well, I loved how you used the whole life or the and asset analogies, and you actually showed how you bought different companies and businesses and opportunities. And again, it, it just when, it's rare, and yet it's becoming a little bit more popular because people like you, who Entrepreneur Magazine is calling the, the next Warren Buffett, you know, are, are starting to think about money and starting to think about velocity and starting to think about results and starting to think about what really matters. Justin, there's so much that I want to talk to you about. And uh, unfortunately, uh, or fortunately for for our listeners, our time is running up. And so how can people get your book, subscribe to your podcast, learn more about your mastermind? I want people to get their book and I want people that you read it because I, I I feel like you scratch the surface, but there's so many other things that I want people to grasp. What's the best way to do that?
0: Sure. Yeah. Thank you. There are a lot of different things that I do. I mean, I guess first and foremost, if you want the book, you can go to, for your audience, I'm going to give the book for free. They just have to pay for shipping. So they can go to lifestyleinvestorbook.com. And that's a great way to kind of get that. And there's a few other offers there that they'll be able to get and, and have access to my 10 commandments, you know, that PDF will be sent for free. And I also want to point out that all the proceeds of my book go to charity. There's an organization called Love Justice International that is rescuing children that have been human trafficked more, I mean, more aptly sex trafficked uh, all around the world. They're in 17 different countries. And just this last month, this is... Disturbing and exciting at the same time, but they had over 500 rescues just in the month of April. So it's disturbing to think that it's this rampant in the world, but it's exciting that we were able to save that many lives and put them on a better trajectory. And so I just feel very passionate about that. So it doesn't matter where you buy it, uh, the dollars that come in here are going to go there. I want the education to be able to help people grow their own wealth, and I want the dollars to be able to help buy human rights and freedoms back for those that they've truly been stripped away. So, you know, that's one thing about the book. If you go to justindonald.com, I've got a lot of other things. I've got an online course. I've got a masterclass. I've got a mastermind that's by application only. And I've got a private coaching program that is also by application only. And there is a wait list for that. But these are, you know, some of the opportunities that I have. And then I've got a podcast called Lifestyle Investor. And I uh, interview some really amazing people that, you know, they're winning the game of life. And so I want to highlight them. And I, I just have so much fun sharing and, and learning. And like you, it's just such a great vehicle to really teach and and kind of get the word out in the world of what's possible.
1: You know, Justin... My audience has heard this a lot because it's one of my favorite quotes. It's the value of your life is always measured by how much of it was given away. And I feel like this is the work that you've been doing and you're, you're able to leverage your ability to create value and give. And I just think there's so much value that was even created on this. And so I appreciate you taking time to be on the show. The last question I end on my podcast with is what I call the legacy question. And it goes like this. If this is your last day on earth and you're with the people that you love the most, i.e. your family, your daughter, and you can't give her your book. You can't give her any of your videos. You can't even give her any podcasts have you done, but you only have one last conversation. What are you going to make sure to highlight in that conversation?
0: What a great question and so hard to kind of boil down. But uh, for me, I've given some thought to what the most important things that I can teach my daughter Uh, just in general. And, you know, the first one is that you're loved. You're loved by God. You're loved by me. You're loved by others. And be sure to love yourself because you're created uniquely um, and in God's image. And that um, uh, to choose who you spend time with wisely for people that build you up and don't tear you down. I really think peer group is that important and just an encouragement to be a lifelong learner.
1: Justin, thank you for your life, what you're doing, creating a book, coming on the show, and making a difference, man. I'm excited to lean into more of being a lifestyle investor myself, and I appreciate the work that you're doing. Well, this has been
0: great, and I appreciate you having me. And if uh, if we want to do something again, I, I just I love what you're doing. I love who you are and what you represent and what you're building in the world and the passion that you have and the desire to share and give and just make sure people are educated. And so I, can, I just can sign up wholeheartedly in your programs and what you do. And I would love to be an advocate for you and a support to you. So as you see uh, any way that I can do that, please let me know. Don't hesitate to reach out.